welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Is the most controversial film in the history of UFO research real? If it were real, would people take it in stride or would human society collapse? Who is Ray Santilli? Hello and welcome to the 832nd edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben, and those high-flying questions came from my co-host, partner in the Paranormal Adventures, and Dad Paul. Uh, today, we bring you a new view of a well-known subject in the UFO field, and we welcome your calls today. The number is 401-766-1240, that's from anywhere, or you can email Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com, or you can contact us via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Joining us via Skype from the UK today is researcher, author, and publisher Philip Mantle. Philip is the former director of investigations for the British UFO Research Association, is the Mutual UFO Network's representative for England, and is an honorary member of the Research Institute on Anomalous Phenomena in the Ukraine. He is an international lecturer on the subject of UFOs and has also worked for a variety of television and radio companies around the world. This is Philip's first appearance on the show in over nine years. <laughs> As I say, that's not going to happen again. We're going to get him on uh, more frequently than that. So, um, Philip Mantle, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Yeah, good, 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 good day, gentlemen. Nice to speak to you. Oh, very good. Okay, we're getting your video now. That's good. Uh, for anyone who is not listening to the show, <clears throat> or I should say is not watching the show on, on a device that allows you to receive the video feed, uh, you can check the uh, talking points page for this show at BehindTheParanormal.com. Just go to Upcoming Shows. Uh, this is the first one listed, and there is a link for the talking points. You can be able to see the photographs and pictures we'll be talking about. Alrighty, so Philip, you're just uh, so we're we're just gonna let you take the show, um, it, and you know we'll we'll add add questions as we go along. So please tell us the story of the alien autopsy film and any new information that you have learned. Yeah, I mean it, it's uh, believe it or not, gentlemen, it's this year is the 25th anniversary of the alien autopsy film. It was mm. first shown on television uh, back in 1995. So. Uh, because of that and other things that you know there has been renewed interest in it but uh, my connection with it goes all the way back to 1993 now at that time I was uh, amongst other things the the press officer for the British UFO Research Association uh, and a letter you know uh, across my desk from uh, a company called the Merlin Group basically asking us if we could assist uh, in the making of a uh, UFO documentary. So I wrote back, this is the days before email, of course, um, letters, the old-fashioned way, you know, you send a letter <laughs> in the post. Mm. Uh, and, as, you know, I explained what we could and couldn't do. We used to have uh, a little information leaflet about the association. I sent that as well. And we exchanged a couple of um, letters uh, and a couple of faxes, I believe, as well. Uh, and then in, in the end, I spoke to the gentleman who signed the bottom of this letter, and that was a chap by the name of Ray Santilli. And, um, you know, he, he talked about making a, a sort of a, a general UFO documentary and, you know, uh, asked if we could supply video clips and that kind of thing. We couldn't, but I knew someone that could. And this went on for, um, you know, a few months. 
And then during the one of the telephone conversations, this had sort of slipped into 1994 now, um, Ray Santilli said, you know, I, I've actually got film of the UFO crash at Roswell. And, um, you know, one of the creatures being autopsied. So my, I think the natural question from anybody would have been, well, I said, show me it. It's mm. a great claim, but, mm. you know, let's let's have a look. So the, the conversation kind of went like, yes, I can, no, I can't, yes, I can, no, I can't. Anyway, I I, I managed to meet uh, Ray Santilli in London. I live a few hundred miles north of London, but we used to hold meetings in London. Uh, and we had an evening's presentation um, with Travis Walton and Mike Rogers. They were over with their uh, their partners promoting the movie, Fire in the Sky. So I organised a an evening presentation, and I knew Santilli's offices weren't that far away, so I invited him along. And he came along, you know, a very nice guy, easygoing, um, ex- said he'd been out in, in the States in 1992 um, looking for old music memorabilia, the old rock and roll stars before they were famous. His his business, the Merlin Group, was mainly music orientated. They licensed back catalogues from the 60s groups or re-recorded things, you know, this kind of stuff. Uh, and um, so he was a great memorabilia collector in his own right. And uh, I said, you know, it's a great story, right? You know, love to hear it. But again, you, you need to show me the film. Yes, I can. No, I can't. Yes, I can. So I, in the end, I just said, look, you know, it's, it's another great story. It's a fantastic story. I've heard plenty of them. And I basically told him to go away. I didn't believe him. Then we kind of flip over into early 1995 and um, I was sent a uh, a movie for review it was the Roswell movie made by Paul Davids oh. and uh, yeah it was being released here by Sony uh, but it was only a small time release this was no big thing we just got sent a copy for review and I thought oh Roswell I wonder if that chap Santilli still claims to have this film now Ray had given me a business card, so I, I pulled it out of the uh, out of the pile, and, and, I, and I rang him. And he says, "Yeah, I I do feel it, but you don't believe me." I said, "Well, I, I can't believe you until you show me it." So he said, "Okay, you know, make make an appointment with my my secretary and, and come and see it." So I did. Me and my wife travelled to London, and uh, in his office in the old the old VHS player. Ray played as a piece of film that he called the on-site location film, or the tent footage as it got better known as. He he claimed that when the creatures were first, um, you know, removed from wherever in the desert, before they were shipped anywhere, they were put in a little field tent to protect them. And uh, one of these was filmed at the time. So he had a black and white film, no soundtrack, a fixed camera with a creature on a slab with a, a cover over most of it. Beyond that were two men in white coats with, it looked like you could see something shine, looked like a knife of some description. And, you know, I'll call it a fleshy material. 
And a gentleman with his back to the camera walked in front of the camera every now and again. It lasts about, I don't know, eight or ten minutes. And that's kind of what I expected to see. You could see the creature's head and the black eyes. I thought, well, you know, it's not the greatest of quality. But then, to our surprise, Ray said, well, that's not all of it. I've, I've got more. We're having it processed now. So over the next few weeks, we went back a number of times. And, he, and that's when he showed us what everybody knows as the alien autopsy that was shown on Fox in, in the US and various other channels. Uh, but what a lot of people are not aware is that Ray Santilli showed me and my wife um, two different autopsies. Same creature, same location, uh, different medical procedures uh, conducted. Oh, quite similar, but nonetheless very different. <coughs> The other autopsy, for example, the film is a lot brighter. They do a, a, a different uh, medical procedure. It doesn't go out as focused as much because the camera doesn't close, uh, close in on it. And um, so there are two different autopsies. Only one has ever been released. I'm not the only one to have seen these. Um, Crop Circle researcher Colin Andrews has seen them. My colleague in Italy by the name of Maurizio Baiata has seen them, and I believe the late uh, Reg Presley also saw them. Uh, but my wife was there as well. And then there's the wreckage or the debris film. There's Again, in a tent, there's these large hand panels and big, large uh, eye beams that we were shown as well. So we now saw this, and I asked Santilli what his intentions were, he said, you know, I'm, 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 he made no uh, hesitation to say I want to commercialise it. And um, he wanted to release it on, on home video. And he said, that's, I want you to work on this with us, Philip. You know, uh, we're going to put a little documentary together and we're going to sell it. And I agreed uh, to do that. But then I also said, uh, will you show this at our conference? I was also a Euphoria's conference organiser at the time. And we had a, this is now sort of around April time, 1995. I said, I have a conference organised in Sheffield in August, late in August. Will you show it there? And he said, yeah. So we just shook hands. There was no contract or money involved. And of course, I worked on the documentary that Ray made himself, which he sold on VHS video, um, it is uh, narrated by a, a famous uh, British actor by the name of Brian Blessed I wrote all that for him um, I did various other things and, and of course the first time anyone else saw uh, a snippet of this film was what Santilli did on May the 5th at the London Museum uh, had a private screening so it was invitation only a lot of journalists there a few re UFO researchers he showed it there, uh, but the first time it was actually seen in public was at our conference in Sheffield uh, that August. Um, Ray put tight security on the conference because the next day the film was being shown on television around the world. So, uh, and that, uh, you know, when I saw it, gentlemen, that and, and Ray, I knew of Ray's intentions. I thought, well, the only way we're really going to get to the bottom of this film is if we get it out into the public domain. Now, at that point, there was no television involved, there was no newspapers, no nothing. As I said, Ray's intention was to sell it on home video. Now, the story got out 
um, not long after that, quite by accident, and that was my fault. So um, newspapers started faxing me and phoning me, trying to find Ray Santilli, and that's when the media became involved in television and so on. Uh, and I've heard people often say, you know, oh, Ray's marketing plan was fantastic. Well, you know, the, there was no marketing plan. I've been in his office, and it was just chaos. You know, he didn't release the information about the film. It was me. And I did that by accident. Um, so there was no great marketing plan. Once once the story was out there, it took on a life of its own, as did the film itself, and it just snowballed. Because uh, we're talking about a time when, you know, the X-Files TV show was probably at its most popular as well. Um, so it was it was perfect timing. And, and you know, that's how... The, the the alien autopsy you know became known around the world um, in, in August 1995. Now you may call me naive, and I probably was, but once it was on television around the world, I thought surely somebody will step forward and say that's me on there. I'm one of the actors. Or, you know, I filmed it, or I made the props for it, or whatever. Or, no, that's my grandfather on there. He told me about this, you know, and I'd never said, whatever. But it was, it was literally, you know, like the tumbleweed effect. Hmm. Nothing. I mean, nothing from either side. You know, UFO researchers were arguing about it, but arguing about it wasn't people coming forward. I mean, absolutely nothing. And uh, despite Santilli's uh, insistence that the film had been checked by Kodak and all this, it hadn't. He promised me and everyone else who asked pieces of film that we could have, have analysed. Now, we have Kodak here in the UK. It's in uh, Hertfordshire. And I spoke to Kodak and they said, we, we will gladly analyse the film. We won't, comment, we won't comment on what it shows but we'll analyse the film for its age. And um, not far from where their uh, their offices were, there was also the British Film Institute. And they said, we'll get the, the BFI involved as well, free of charge. You know, no problem. Now, where Sam Tilly lived, it was only a short drive from there. He could have literally driven up there and handed the film on, over the counter and watched them do it. You know, mm. he will... He will tell you that Kodak refused to do it. That is not that is not true. Kodak were only more than willing to do it, free of charge. We'd used Kodak before as um, you know a, a film analysts when we got alleged UFO photos. We haven't used them a lot. I've got to be honest, but we did on occasion, and they were more than happy to to, to look at things. Um, it got them publicity as well, you know. It, it, uh, so. You know, the film wasn't um, checked by um, by Kodak in any in any in any way that's reliable for, for for you know for authentication processes. So all we really had was the film that we saw on the tel- on television. Now, when you watch the film, that there is nothing on there that will say it's it's a fake. You know, a lot of people thought that. There's a phone on the wall with a curly flex. They thought, oh, they didn't have curly flexes in 1947. Well, they did. They just came as an additional extra. You had to pay, you know, a little bit more for them. But they were there, all right. Clock on the wall with, you know, the same microphone hanging down. 
all the medical instruments were all from that era. So then we showed the film to um, the medical community, you know, surgeons, pathologists, I mean, you name it. And surprisingly, a lot of them, although they wouldn't comment on what the creature was lying on the slab, they said that the medical procedure was, you know, pretty good. They couldn't really find a lot of fault with it. And um, we went to the combat um, cameraman's association. Some of them said, it, you know, if I'd have filmed that in combat, that's rubbish. Others said it's it's not bad, actually, because these was meant to be the film that we have. Is meant to be the you know the stuff that was left behind. What what Santilli's mythological cameraman said was I sent all the good stuff off to Washington, and I had some extra bits left behind for that needed some special attention, and they never collected it, so I just kept hold of it. So they were like the outtakes, if you like, you know, um, they were meant to be out of focus or dark or whatever. Um, So you know the arguments raged. Uh, uh, around the world and by this time we got the the internet beginning in the in 1995 and email I think it was the, the sort of first UFO battle that was fought online you know and um, and Santilli stuck to his story uh, and that that's how it all took off gentlemen hmm. Hmm. Well, like, yeah good point it took <clears throat> off yeah, ah. yeah that's what you did there Philip um, <laughs> So we're, we're looking at, uh, on the, uh, the video feed here, the, uh, the label from the film can. And, um, I did photography in the military, although not 1947, so things have changed. What, um, it, it brings up the question, where did Santilli get this film? Well, what he And why him? Was, well, what he claims was that in 1992, he was in Cleveland, Ohio. And they'd advertised in local media that him and his his business colleague were looking for old film, photographs, memorabilia of rock and roll stars. You know, Elvis, Pat Boone, whatever. Ray has a a very, very large collection of of, uh, music memorabilia himself. And, And the story goes that a gentleman stepped forward and said, you know, I used to be a freelance cameraman and I worked for X company and I filmed Elvis, as, as, a, as, a, as an unknown. Mm-hmm. So Ray says the company had no longer existed, therefore there was no copyright issue. We'll buy it off you and we'll pay you cash. So they claimed to have bought this, you know, early clip of Elvis. He said, well, they were packing up to go home when this gentleman came back and said, well, if you think that's good, before I was a, a freelance cameraman, I was in the military. And in 1947, I went uh, to film what I was told was a, you know, a, um, a downed uh, Russian spy plane of some description. But he said, when I got there, we were near Roswell, and he said, I filmed this UFO and, and the crash at Roswell. Are you interested in buying this film? So he said, Ray said he took an internal flight, went to this gentleman's house, they, they literally put some of the film on a projector, he could see around the room, you know, this, this gentleman's um, mem- memorabilia from when he was in the military and so on. So again, it was a cash transaction. They shook hands on it. And um, the deal was that he didn't release the cameraman's identity. Ray says he didn't have the money at that time to buy it. So he came home and he set about raising the money. 
um, uh, and when I eventually got it, the the, the 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 film was shipped in. So you have some of the film that is in a big canister. That's then in a box. And then there's a label stuck over some of the boxes. So Ray released, I think it was three or four uh, photocopies of, of the, the labels that allegedly been on the on the boxes. They've been flattened out. And it said, you know, autopsy, whatever, uh, dates on them. Now, there was a stamp on them. There was an official stamp. But the stamp is smudged or faded. Mm. And somebody thought, oh, we've got them here. We've got them. Because that is the the uh, the crest or the the stamp for the Department of Defence. Okay. Now, bear in mind this this is supposed to have been filmed in I you know May June, um, nineteen forty seven. Somebody said the Department of Defence didn't come into force uh, until September of nineteen forty seven. Therefore, these are a fake. However. What I forgot to mention was, before it was known as the Department of Defense, it was known as the Department of War. Yes. Mm-hmm. And all they've done is changed the lettering around the official stamp. The emblem in the middle is, I think it's two, is an eagle with, uh, with arrows in its talons or something like that. But the writing around the edge was smudged. You can't read it. So it, it could have been either. You know, mm-hmm. there was no way of telling. So it, you know, and and then on the on the on the on these labels, it tells you what type of film is used, and it was Kodak Super XX. So you know, we contacted Kodak in the states. They went to their archives and they sent us all kinds of stuff. They were they were really helpful. And when it comes to uh, sixteen millimeter black and white Super XX film, there is a table on on the next page. And it, it gives you all the different types of film and you go across the columns and it tells you, you know, the, what these films are, are are to be used for. And with Super XX, one of them was indoors under subdued lighting. Now, whatever you say about the alien autopsy film, it was clearly indoors and there were no lamps or anything. So it was in subdued lighting. So even that seemed to fit, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I think Ray Santilli got lucky as well because there were people saying, now, if this was the real thing, there's no way you'd be able to smuggle top secret film out of the US. Well, you know, we have a, a thing here called a car boot sale. Uh, and it's basically, usually on a Sunday, you'll go and pitch a, a table somewhere, you know, you'll all be there and you sell your unwanted goods. A bit like your garage sales, but on a larger sure. scale. Mm-hmm. Now, at the time, a, a gentleman had gone to one of these car boot sales. This was in the, in the newspaper and he bought some old VHS video cassettes, you know, and he took them home and he thought, well, before I tape over them, you know, I'll, I'll have a look, see what's on them. So he, there were no labels on them. He put them in. And they were actually top secret films of the special air services uh, training here in the UK. So this idea that, you know, top secret film uh, can't get out into the open, that that was dashed. And then somebody yes. com- commented on the, you know, the quality of the film is pretty good. And again, there was an argument of whether old film that had been stored somewhere would look so good. And again, Ray got quite lucky. Uh, apparently an old piece of film of, of Winston Churchill had been found. But this was filmed on one of his visits to the United States, 
I believe during the Second World War, he was atop the uh, the Empire State Building, and it, it was so clear was the film. It looked like it had been shot yesterday, hmm. you know. And of course, you know, Churchill is a is a is a, a national hero here, and that made the headlines as well. And the show, you know, the showed a clip of the film of, of Churchill on 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 the news, and it was indeed, you know, pretty much perfect. So you, you know, the stars kind of aligned. For Ray Santilli in, in a lot of instances, okay. uh, and he it, and it got, it got lucky in that respect. So that, that's that's the story behind the film, and uh, you know we pressured. When I say we, the me, colleagues, television, you name it, pressured Ray to to tell us who this cameraman is, and he wouldn't. However, he said he he he'd get him to phone me. So one night I did receive a a phone call from a gentleman with a uh, an American accent. Didn't say an awful lot. He would claim to be his cameraman. You know, I, I can't verify he wasn't phoning me from next door. You know, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so that's how it all. Uh, that's the sort of the backstory to it. Okay. Well, we're going to take our bottom of the hour break, and uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 12:40 AM and 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley, and we'll be right back with our guest Philip Mantle to continue some questions about the alien autopsy film. Stick with us. Get down to brass tacks at home with me, Bob Vila, and my tip of the day every day right here. Bob Vila's Home Improvement Tip of the Day can only be heard on ON AM and FM every weekday at 6.50 in the morning. Bob Vila's Home Improvement Tip of the Day is brought to you by Cumberland Kitchen and Bath Design Center. Bob Vila's Home Improvement Tip of the Day on ON Radio. We're local and live at 99.5 FM, ON AM and FM. And welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON. And we are talking uh, for, via Skype from the UK with our good friend Philip Mantle. And uh, he's got some inside information on the alien autopsy film from 25 years ago. And uh, it's a fascinating discussion so far. He's given us the background. So let's go to some questions. <coughs> Excuse me. This is a question from our uh, good uh, listener, certainly Peter in Bogota, Colombia, who asks uh, some really good questions almost every week. Alrighty. So Peter writes to us. Uh, uh, please ask Philip if he has seen any alien autopsy medical documents uh, that he thinks might be real for any case anywhere. Uh, if so, please share what you read. Yeah, I mean, again, one of the things that, that we asked Sam Tilly was there any um, documentation to accompany his films? Uh, and all we have was the film canister labels. There was nothing else. Um, there was nothing certainly from 1947, you know, but like I said, the film was shown to a number of, of medical personnel in 1995 who commented on it, but there was no, there was nothing else that came with it that, that Ray says this was from the cameraman. Uh, he released a statement that he claimed was the cameraman's story, which we've touched on, um, you know, and Ray said, you know, I, we, I would one of my secretaries type it up, you know, so, uh, but the, the, there is no documents of any description with it at all. Okay, I'm looking at the label here. Uh, I know Ben has a question too. Uh, it says real number 64, July 1947, uh, autopsy number two, head. So, uh, <laughs> what uh, do we have any idea where the other 63 
or six, whatever, how many other reels? Well, yeah, there I mean, Ray originally said that he received 22 reels of film. Okay, now, wow. each, you know, if 16 millimeter film reels are in three minute sections. So if you have one reel of film and you used all of it, you'd have enough film for three minutes. That's all. Uh, and even when I when I was in his office, the the the, the whole lot was there in a box next to his uh, next to his desk. I have a picture of it, and um, I, I'm so honest. When he he left the room to go and attend to something, gentlemen, I could have I could have taken a snip of the film, or I could you know, but I, I was just honest. I, I, it's not my property, um, so you know. Uh, we, we we have no idea what, what Ray claimed was that when he opened these canisters um, it, it, it changed his story much later he said that some of it had deteriorated well that would be Whatever. yeah so it had deteriorated and there were only bits and pieces left so he claims that originally he said what you see on the on the TV is is is, is real he then claimed some years later that it wasn't. It was a restoration. They'd used these scraps of film to restore it. Um, but I, I reminded Ray that if you are restoring something, for example, gentlemen, let's, let's assume you are, you, one of your talents is, is your experts in, in uh, paintings. You are painting restorers. I wish. And if you were, <laughs> well, I'm just saying for sake of argument, let's assume you, you, you know, you, the most famous painting in the world, probably the Mona Lisa. Let's assume you were going to restore it. You wouldn't make two of them, would you? No. No, that's true. You wouldn't have the Mona Lisa as everyone knows and loves it, and then another Mona Lisa, but looking different. You know, maybe with blonde hair. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, what Ray Santilli has forgotten, in inverted commas, is that there are two different autopsy films but he only ever talks about one that's the one you've seen on, on television mm-hmm. so if, if it was a restoration why would you make two and if you made two then why not you know release two mm. you know if, if there were scraps of film and, and there were two autopsies filmed two different ones and you restored them both then why not show both as I said the other one to the best of my recollection, and I only ever saw it once, is a little bit longer in length. It's very bright. The, the um, it doesn't go out of focus so much, um, but it, it is real. It is there. Uh, my wife's seen it, and as I've as I've had us, um, so it it is there. Originally, Ray said that um, the other uh, film was the. Uh, ownership of it had been transferred to his business partner, which was a gentleman by the name of Volker Spielberg, who lived in, Spielberg. in Germany. Yeah, Spielberg. Yeah, that, that's rather an interesting coincidence. <laughs> yeah, it is. And he said he put the money up for the film, and he has he he has ownership of the other autopsy, and uh, he just wants to keep it to himself. And um, of course, as as the years progressed. Ray changed the story to say it was a, a restoration, uh, and the other film was kindly forgotten about and ignored. Well, there seems to be a surplus in this whole process of television and film producers. 
including Santilli himself, and a conspicuous shortage of scientists, with the notable exception, we notice, of Dr. Bruce Maccabee. Uh, mm-hmm. What does this do to the credibility of, of Santilli's story? Well, I mean, you know, there isn't any credibility to Santilli's story because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, although we had, you know, we had no single piece of proof that you know, would show it was a fake, my first indication, or what, what I what I did really on, gentlemen, was I got to sort of no race character, and if you were confrontational with you with him, he would just ignore you. That was it. So what I decided to do, right or wrong, was in public and and and, and in his presence, I would support him. I would say, "This is great, Ray. You tell him whatever." But behind the scenes, I was working with colleagues to try and get to the bottom of it. And I told Ray I was trying to get to the bottom of it, but he just shrugged his shoulders and smiled. And he said, that's okay, Philip. That's, that's, you know, no problem. And um, so little by little, piece by piece, we managed to glean information that eventually led to us being able to prove it a fake. First indication came from a special effects company in the States called the Really Dangerous Company. And they did what? special effects people did they they actually played the the, the the film you know very very slowly and, and looked at it from a special effects viewpoint and then they published a little little list of things for you to watch for and there were just tiny little indications this wasn't proof but it was indications that you know there's something you know not right here for example they take a saw and they saw the, the head open on this, this creature, but the head wobbles. And you actually see the, the sort of doctor's assistant put his hand on it to keep it still. And the reason it wobbles is because it's, it's not attached to any spinal cord. There is no spine down it. And again, when you look at the, the creature lying on, on the slab, it, it's rounded. But when, when a person dies uh, and are laid in that position, gravity takes over and all your bodily fluids all flow, drop to the lowest point and you are left basically with a flat underside of a corpse. So mm. your back is flat, your buttocks are flat and so on. But this thing isn't. It's still rigid as if it's stood up. So it's an indication that there's something not right there. It's not proof but it was an indication there was something not right. Mm-hmm. So I just kept at it, really. Yeah. I think that's actually a really, really interesting sort of thing. Being a former film student, you know, it's, you, looking looking at the film, because it, it is strange, right? But I guess if, if this is an alien creature, then one would assume it wouldn't have the same anatomy that we do. It happens to be bipedal, but perhaps, you know, the the sort of biological needs of a completely alien creature probably wouldn't be the same as as a human. I mean, that that would be a counter-argument. Circumstantial, oh, ab- but... Ab- yeah. Absolutely, and it was a counter-argument. But when they cut the thing open, it bleeds, and the, bl- the blood flows down. You know, gravity takes over. So, you know, in, in that respect, it, 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 react, it acted the, the very same as, as, as what if you cut one of us open? You know, the blood would come out and, it, and gravity would take over. It would, it would flow downwards, not up. Um, so, you know, so, so that, was, that was indeed a counter-argument. But 
it's not one that um, you know held a great deal of, of water because, like I said, when they cut it open, we'll call it blood, but its bodily fluids did flow downwards, like 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 anyone else's. Uh, it looked it looked pretty much like us. One of the curious things that a lot of people concentrated on was the fact that it had six fingers on its hands and toes. It was uh, polydactyly, as it's known. Um, just so happens I worked with a, a gentleman who was polydactyly. Usually if you, if you have extra digits, it's normally on either your hands or your feet. It's rarely is it both. Uh, my friend who I worked with, he had six toes uh, on his on each foot, hmm. uh, and we used to call him the man from Atlantis, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> they were they were webbed as well, you know. And uh, and when his son was born, his son had six toes uh, on each foot. But what they do nowadays, they just while you're an infant, they just take the 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 extra digit off. It's usually the small one; hmm. it's an extra one. But of course, then we looked at you know polydactylism, and, and it, 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 it you know it goes off in all directions. I mean, strange as it is, just last year, my, my wife and I were at a large uh, country house here in the UK. Huge, great thing. And we go up one particular staircase, and there's a well-known portrait of one of its former owners, and she sat there in all her glory, you know, looking magnificent, lady somebody or other. Uh, and one of the guys is telling us all about it, you know, and I just looked this painting and I'm looking at it I'm looking at it and she had six fingers on each hand and mm. the guy who worked there for years had never noticed so really? yeah she had six fingers on each on each hand on this portrait she sat with her hands crossed you know in a nice posture but she got six fingers on each hand uh, and uh, you know he looked at me as if to say how did he notice that I, you know, I'm the expert on the house and the paintings but anyway that's just the way it goes so, you know, the, the research went on into pretty much everything you could just see in the film. You know, was, was the medical procedure correct? Were the instruments correct? You know, uh, and there was nothing that could prove it real. Similarly, there was nothing that at the time could prove it, you know, a fake. So the argument then rumbled on and, it, and kept on going. So this is actually a really interesting sort of um, indicator, I guess, of sort of a cultural reaction to something that you can't definitively prove or disprove. And I, I wanted to go back to a point you made earlier in the show, which was, you know, when the documentary re was released, no one said anything. And no one did anything. Now, that there's this whole disclosure movement that's been going on for a while now. And if it makes any headway, and let's say, you know, world governments do say, well, we, we can definitively say that, you know, extraterrestrials do exist, do you think the reaction would be the same? Well, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, it's one I've, I've, I've discussed with colleagues previously. I said, first of all, who would you, well, let's assume that that's, it's going to be announced, who would you trust to announce it in the first place? No. Mm. Why don't we take a you minute know? here, because there are more questions, but Philip, why don't we take a minute here to uh, to talk about your work, your the books you've been publishing, and you're very successful at it, your own book, uh, the uh, Roswell Alien Autopsy book, and uh, your website where people can find out more, etc. Yeah, I mean, a few years back I, I published my, my, my uh, research uh, 
on the alien autopsy film. It's called Roswell Alien Autopsy. But of course it didn't stop there just because the book was out. So what I decided to do, because it's coming up to the 25th anniversary, a lot of the um, the work we did in the early days was done in paper format. I literally have a filing cabinet, an old-fashioned filing cabinet right next to me, and uh, all my paperwork is in there. So I, I expanded on the original book. I did a revised edition, and for the first time I, I used a lot of the documents that were gathering dust in my filing cabinet, you know, I think there's even an early fax uh, in there from 1993 from Ray Santilli discussing the documentary and another idea that I discussed with him about a different documentary, you know. Um, so it's called Roswell Alien Autopsy. It's it's eight by ten inches. Uh, it's I think it's uh, I don't know 500 pages. So not only do you read the accounts of the research as it goes the way through, you can see the documents that go with it. Um, and of course, you know, I, I've interviewed just about anybody and everybody, uh, and you summarize the interviews, but I, I originally transcribed them, so I thought I'll put the, f- the whole transcripts in this book, and you can read every word that was said. You don't have to take my word for it. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's all in there. And I, what I did, I, I, I published this under my little business called Flying Disc Press. Um, I started that in, in 2015. And um, that's just, you know, my own work. But we have a, a number of other, you know, books from uh, around the world. Yeah, uh, and uh, many, the, of the authors the have, um, many of the authors have been guests on this show, and very good ones. So um, we have uh, anyone who is watching the uh, video uh, edition of the show, uh, we can see the figure lying on the slab as well as the book cover and the head of the figure. One of the things that strikes me, Philip, and this sort of goes, uh, has a two-sided, uh, is a two-sided question. I, I always thought, and I first saw this in 1995 when it came out, Ben was three, mm. and uh, the figure does not look all that alien to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, on the other hand, the other side of the question is that, you know, the, regardless of the number of fingers and toes, uh, any, if this is a, 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 an alien from some other planet, any planet with similar conditions, uh, particularly gravitational conditions, uh, conditions similar to what we have here, more or less, uh, would evolve, one would think, in a similar way uh, to ourselves. Uh, two legs, uh, you know, two arms, you know, one, a head, two, you know, perhaps there might be three, I don't know. But, I mean, it's just because of the gravitational, particularly uh, situation, you, you'd have a... A figure that might not look really all that different. So, what what say you? I mean, this this is uh, if this really is an alien, which I think all of us kind of doubt. Um, why doesn't it look alien? More alien? Well, it's a good question. Um, I'll I'll skip forward in time. Um, in two thousand and six, Santilli um, um, took part in making a movie called Alien Autopsy. Uh, and that's where his story changed and he, he talked about a restoration and the film being damaged and so on. Not long after that, now we've been digging away, you know, trying to get to the bottom of this. A couple of years earlier, I'd, I'd, I'd been approached by a chap and I met him. And um, I'd written an article for a magazine and he'd seen the magazine article because it was on sale in the, in, in the public domain. And uh, he said, anybody still interested in this film? He says, yeah, he says, well, the, the reason I'm contacting you is that my friend, 
make the dummies. <laughs> now, again, the argument sort of goes, well, who? No, he wouldn't tell me to begin with. Um, he, he was sort of representing his friend to see if there was any television interest in it. So I put him uh, in touch with um, the producer who had made Alien Autopsy Fact or Fiction. It's a gentleman by the name of Bob Kibbia. So he spoke to Bob, but during our conversation, he, he dropped a couple of hints about some of the work his, his friend had done before. And we managed to find him. You know, he, he, I think he just talked a little bit too much. So we found this gentleman. Now, bearing in mind from a hoax point of view, we'd gone round just about every uh, special effects expert in the UK that we could lay our hands on. And none of them had a clue. You know, I'd speak to one and he'd say, it's not me, but it looks like it might be so-and-so's work. I'd phone so-and-so and he'd say exactly the same. So we went round and round in circles. However, we'd actually been looking in the wrong area. The gentleman that, that cropped up was a chap by the name of John Humphreys. Yeah, now, yes, John had occasionally worked in, you know, in the film and television industry, but by profession, he wasn't a special effects artist. He was actually a sculptor. And he was trained at the Royal Academy. So, you know, we tried to contact John. He, he wouldn't return our calls. However, he did speak to Bob Kibbia. And during the conversations, he kind of said, yeah, well, you know, I, I, he admitted to what he'd done to an, to an extent. But he says, the gentleman you need to speak to is Spiros. Now, that's all he said, with no second name. Why Bob didn't push him for a second name, I don't know. And then all of a sudden, you know, he, he sort of disappeared because he was then signed up, believe it or not, to make the dummies for the movie that was being made. And um, the way I found out about that, I contacted one of the executives at the film company. It's been made here in the UK. And I didn't really ask any questions, you know. I just kind of went around and around in circles. And then I just dropped a little question one day. It's an old, it's an old trick. It doesn't always work. And I said, oh, by the way, who's doing your special effects for you? And she says, it's John Humphreys. He's making the dummies for us, and he made them for Ray Santilli, hmm. you know. So that kind of confirmed it. So we, we've been given this, this, this name of Spiros. It meant nothing to nobody, you know. And then in 2006, um, a colleague of mine by the name of Russell Callahan uh, had made a little DVD about the alien autopsy, and it was online. And a chap phoned him, claiming to be the man behind it all, the mastermind, you know, the designer, etc. So Russell, you know, said, well, it's not me you need to speak to, really, it's, it's Philip. And this gentleman was called Spiros Milaris. It's a Greek name. Uh, Spiros rang me. We spoke for at least an hour, if not more, which I recorded every word of it. And as soon as he started speaking, he filled in all the gaps. All the unanswered questions were gone. I arranged to call him back um, at a later date and do a more formal interview, which I did. Uh, and it's just by coincidence, I was rooting through some material the other day, and um, I've got two tape, two old cassette tapes, mm -hmm. 
and mm. that's my interview with Spiros Molaris. That's how long it took. It filled up two two cassette tapes, and I transcribed all that, and that's all in the book. Now Spiros, his background is um, his, his his parents are from you know Greek. He was born here. Um, as a young man, he was trained as a uh, as a mechanic, but he's he's. He had two loves. One was film, the other was magic. And, uh, yeah, yeah. so he, he, he trained in both. He became a magician and a filmmaker. Yeah, just like Lumiere. Yeah, mm. he was a magician and a filmmaker. And, uh, in 1995, he had a, you know, his own crew was doing pop videos, you know, promos, you know, as a camera crew for hire. And there's a television festival in France every year, and he was going to that. And he had a trade um, book with all different companies in it. And he just faxed a few. Uh, that, you know, and said, look, we're going to be out in the at, the at the TV festival. We have some spare time. If you're looking to hire a film crew, we're available. And it was just by coincidence that one of those was Ray Santilli's office. Hmm. He met Ray Santilli out in France. Ray told him, you know, this, this story about the film, mysterious cameraman, etc., etc. When they got back, Spiros went to see Ray. He put the film in the in the VHS player, which again at this point was the um, the tent footage, because that's all he had at this point. Spiros says that's never seen film. That's been shot on video. So Ray cried, you know, cried foul that he bought this film in good faith, you know, and, and uh, so Spiros took off. Uh, and as he's driving away, he thought, I could make this, this gen I could make some alien autopsy film. And I have just the man to make it with. My, my friend, John Humphreys. Spiros and John were good friends, you know. Um, I believe Spiros was like, you know, godfather to one of his, his children and so on. So he got in touch with John. They went back to Santilli and said, you know, we can make it. And they got a budget and they designed it, planned it, made it, did it. And the reason that it's two autopsies, uh, I'm, I'm cutting a long story very short, is it the yeah, first Yeah, we're, we're almost out of time. Yeah, the first one, they made a mistake on it. So they did made another model overnight. And that's the one you see on the television. Oh. There was even there was even an error with that. There's a big hole in the leg. There was an air pocket. So they literally improvised. They went and got some bones from the you know the butchers, stuck them in, <laughs> and, and, and burnt the leg. Then it looked like it had been in an accident. That's the one you see on the TV. The oh, other one has go. a miss. The other one, had it been released, you would have been able to say that's a fake. Oh, you know, there we are. There you go. All right. Well. That's that's the story, Philip. Thank you for a very interesting uh, show here, and we uh, have to go. But uh, we uh, refer people to uh, your website via ours, where we'll have a link, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. That's great. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you. Oh, thanks for being on. Okay, so uh, take it away, Ben. Or no? Uh, well, you see. Uh, so on April 3rd, 4th, and 5th, we are actually going to be uh, at the New England uh, Parafest in Kittery, Maine. Um, the first two days of this event, Friday and Saturday, will be at the Community Center at 120 Rogers Road uh, for Sunday the 5th. And we moved to the Lions Club 
on uh, the 11, on that's on 117 State Road for the rest of the event, uh, which will include a live broadcast of this show between noon and 1 p.m. Uh, all proceeds from this event will go to help support the historic Hilldale Cemetery in Haverhill, Massachusetts, and the uh, and toward the upkeep of veterans' gravesites there. And you can check out the uh, you can get tickets, etc., and find out information at EssexCountyGhostProject.com. Okay. Uh, along with ourselves, uh, speakers, all, almost all of whom have uh, you've heard on the show here, will include our favorite co-host, Shane Searway, Bill Brock of the Discovery Channel's Monsters Underground, Ancient Sites expert Dennis Stone, Bigfoot hunter Dave McCulloch, and reincarnation researcher Stephen Sacalarius, researcher and broadcaster Tim Weisberg, and many more people. And again, order tickets at EssexCountyGhostProject.org. And naturally, we'll be back at the Exeter UFO Festival. Uh, that's on uh, Labor Day weekend, September 5th and 6th as speakers, and to do our fifth annual live broadcast from the historic Exeter Town Hall on Sunday the 6th at noon. Uh, the event is sponsored by the Exeter Area Kiwanis Club to raise funds for local children's charities. Okay, I think we better skip to our uh, coming attractions, Ben. Indeed. So, uh, hold on. Well, allow me to get to the exact page. Uh, so, ne- next Sunday, March 1st, will be the uh, UFOs and Time Travelers show with uh, Diane Tessman. So, we'll leave you this afternoon with a thought from American author Tony Robbins. It is your decisions, not your conditions, that determine your destiny. Um, we still have a few seconds. Okay, I always twelve uh, years uh, on the air. You think I'd get this right? Well, you know, time yeah. is relative, as they say. Well, extremely so. Yes. Uh, so there we have it. I mean, I, I think that's a very interesting quote and a very interesting guest. Uh, I took took the wind out of the sails of the alien autopsy film, certainly. So there we go. Anyway, I'm Paul Eno, and I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.